cool. Well, that was fun. Yeah. Wasn't it? That's the best part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember where I learned that. I learned that on some website. They said to do that, and I was like, oh, that's pretty smart. When, um, I, when I first started shooting video, uh, when, I, when I first started skydiving, that was the first thing I wanted to do. And, uh, and I made myself a little clapboard and came up with all sorts of interesting ways to synchronize the opening frame. Mm. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Dude, what well, kind of camera were you using? Oh, dude. You, you ain't oh. using no GoPro. Not back in the day, no. And in <laughs> fact, that's, that's one of the things that's keeping me from going back into the sport is how much I would have to invest to, to bring my technology up to speed. Because uh, I still have a film camera. Uh, I don't have a digital camera yet, and I, I was shooting a, a Rebel 35-millimeter um, film camera with a wide-angle lens on it, and then on top of that... Wow, you I, had a film SLR strapped to your head? Yep, triggering it originally with a button in my hand, and I changed that over later to a, a button I clicked with my tongue uh, just what? so that I would have my hands free. I needed to have my hands free to do Are stuff. Are you serious? Yeah. I've still got it. I'll, I'll show you the rig sometime. But, uh, How do you? What, I'm trying to envision that. So, I mean, I I can envision the one you click with your hand because that's probably just a, an actual um, shutter release cable, right? A, a physical button, yeah. I, I like like a a plunger, right? Yes, exactly. Okay, I know those. I mean, because like skydivers aren't the only people who use that. Like a landscape photographer would use that. Sure, but it, um, astrophotographers. A tongue, a tongue button? All, it, all that was was a pressure-sensitive switch that was buried in the helmet of my camera and a tube that came from that. And on the end of that tube, I put the, um, the bulb from an eyedropper. So all I'd have to do is squeeze that bulb. Now, if you, I mean, if you look professionally, there are people who make buttons that you can literally bite down on uh, or, or push with your tongue. Yeah, I think and, the tongue's better because my teeth would be clenched. <laughs> wow. You know, it, you know, it's not like that at all. Uh, we're yeah, into this you. now. We're into this now. I can start talking skydiving, right? Oh no, yeah, go for it, man. Yeah, actually, I'd love to hear some stories. Do we need to do like an introduction or anything? I mean, we never do before, but like, sure, whatever. Now, now that you've said it, I mean, we yeah. kind of have to. My name's John, and I I get off by falling from the clouds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there you go. There you have it. You know what? Let's just bring the show in, dude. This is No Format Podcast, episode 56. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm Josh Wettenkamp. With me is... Jason Hayes. And John already introduced himself. John uh, McKee. John, John McKee. McKee. There we go. Uh, a retired professional skydiver. Is that right? <laughs> you know what? I would say that a skydiver is never really retired. Okay, okay. Professional. Uh, but, well, but you're When's not... the last time you jumped yeah, out of an airplane? when's the last time you did? Uh, I'll be honest with you. It's been years, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One, I started working weekends, and you guys know how that is. Uh, mm-hmm. The major skydiving activity takes place on weekends when everybody uh, else is off work. Okay. Um, the uh, I'm professional in the sense that I did get paid for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I wasn't huge-time professional. People who know me in the sport, I, I do have kind of a reputation because I did kind of make my mark a couple of times in the the style that I had in doing all of this stuff. But um, What's your style? It, when I, I was I doing video, um, I started skydiving. And let me, let me back up just a little bit. There have been certain seminal moments in history that had a big impact on the skydiving community. 
One of those was the movie Point Break. Do you remember that? No. Nope. Uh, when did it come out? Enlighten us. Uh, oh God! I, well, I'm looking it up right now, so you don't. Yeah, have to look up it. Point Break because I can't. I can never remember names when I'm on the spot. The, the, uh, the, the guy. From, 1991. Yeah, give me some names quick. Uh, Patrick Catherine Swayze. Bigelow, Patrick Swayze, Keanu yeah. Reeves, Laurie Keanu Petty. Reeves. Okay, forget about the others. Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves <laughs> are the big ones, right? Okay. Well, um, Patrick Swayze was a bank robber, and Swayze was an FBI. No, other way around. Swayze was the bank robber. Uh, Reeves was the uh, FBI agent trying to catch him. And he was trying to catch him by getting in with his crowd, right? Mm-hmm. And they were these daredevil guys. They liked to surf. They liked to do crazy things. And one of the crazy things, of course, they did was jump out of an airplane. And supposedly Keanu Reeves had never jumped out of an airplane before. They strapped a parachute on his back and said, go for it, Johnny. Wait, wait, wait. wait. You're saying not in the movie. You're saying in real life he had never jumped out of an airplane? Uh, in real life, probably none of them had until they started this, although Swayze became an accomplished skydiver. But, um, but you're, I, what I'm asking is, this was not part of the plot. You no, know, this was part of the plot. Oh, okay. Go He's on. He's trying to infiltrate this organization okay, of bank okay. robbers. <laughs> and at one point, they jump out of an airplane for fun. They spend something like four minutes in free fall talking back and forth about how excited they are and how much fun it is to jump. And it, totally unrealistic. But it brought a bunch of people to the sport who wanted to try it out after that. And were you one of them? I was not one of them. Four minutes. That's never going to happen. We'll we'll get to that in a minute. Um, I came into the sport not having seen Point Break a few years later when the X Games started. Do you remember the X Games? Oh, I definitely know the X Games. I've been to the X Games. When the X Games first started, there were a couple of key sports in those. And one of them was uh, not just skydiving, but um, I believe they called it skyboarding or skysurfing. I have never seen seen skydiving in the X Games. I have. In the first X Games, that was one of the the key sports. It has been dropped from the X Games since then. Oh, well, that's probably why then. But the very first X Games was uh, a guy jumping out on what looked like a snowboard. Yeah. yeah. And, and flying and doing stunts and things like that. And there was one team. They When they did this jump, it was the guy on the surfboard and his cameraman. They were a team. Mm-hmm. When they showed the sport on TV, they had a second cameraman jump out to film the two of them. And what I saw, one of the indelible moments I saw, was uh, Joe Jennings and his skyboarder. Joe Jennings was the camera guy, and he had um, he was he was flying along there. The guy was doing his stunts. It was carefully choreographed, and they did a synchronized barrel roll, where um, the camera guy synchronized his barrel roll to that stunt that the skyboarder was doing. All the attention from a judge's point of view was on the skyboarder, but the fact that they synchronized this barrel roll and the camera guy kept him in frame the entire time, no matter what crazy things he was doing, mm-hmm. looked to me like the kind of technical skydiving that I wanted to get into. So Joe Jennings was my hero, and I saw this you know, on TV, and I decided that's what I wanted to do. So I, I, I was working for um, trade shows at the time, and, and they had this, uh, this um, every five years you got um, a leave of absence. You know, you got to take a month off with pay. Sure. And, uh, and that was really cool. 
and and I had a bunch of money in the bank. And so I said, well, I could learn to fly a plane or I could take up skydiving and ha- afford all my equipment that I needed to skydive, the parachutes and the cameras and everything. Are you so, saying learning to fly a plane would have been more expensive? Learning to fly a plane would be about the same thing, but then I would be left with a pilot's license and no plane. Oh, Because those it. are really expensive, right? So sure. I figured, ah, skydiving's fun. You get to fly. And uh, so I went down and, and, and decided that I wasn't going to do the... Uh, the tandem track, you know, where you, you jump off, jump out of an airplane with somebody attached to you. And let me back up for your listeners, anyone who's not familiar with skydiving. If you want to go skydiving, that's probably the best way to make your first skydive is to go to any drop zone, pay your money, strap somebody to your back and get pushed out of an airplane. Um, it's it's the, the images that you see. Everybody who's done a skydive dude. has... <clears throat> I'm sorry, dude. I'm sorry. What? Just saying that gives me chills. Yeah. I, it's something I really want to do, Josh. Oh my god. You we've had we've had this conversation. Jason, I thought you'd done it once. No, no, I never have. Never okay. No. Well this is this is the I best know, way to I go. know what you guys did, or I know what Jason did. He bought tickets and never used them. Ooh, bummer. Yeah. For indoor skydiving. Oh now that's yeah, a different was, story. That was stupid. It, that was indoor a, skydiving, we could go gone, tomorrow. Gone wrong. Yeah. We could go tomorrow if you wanted to. I mean, that's easy. Uh, I don't need to get my equipment back in shape or anything like that. They provide all the equipment you need, and it's it's great. It's fun. You, it's so easy. you've done that before. Yeah. You know, I know someone who did it, and they actually told me that they that they weren't that crazed over it. They just said it was kind of okay, that it wasn't that exciting. I don't know. Well, they were smoking the wrong stuff then, because because uh, I think it's mm. awesome. Now don't you don't do you it. don't get the view, you know. And, yeah, and you don't, I feel like that would be part of the thrill. You don't get that thing in your mind that you're leaving a perfectly good airplane at 14,000 feet. And that's because, the thing that I never want to put in my mind. Uh, and, so you and won't skydive, I would Josh. never do that. Never in my life would I do that. I, I'll bet I could change your mind. You could. You know what? You could change my mind. You yeah. could change my mind if the destination was Mars. Because didn't we have this conversation last time? I would go to Mars. <laughs> you do not want to skydive on Mars. and you know what that's that's going to be part of this podcast because we're going to come back to that after my josh do you freak out when you fly on an airplane somewhere no i love flying in airplanes i get window seats i love it but what if what if there's an emergency dude and you gotta jump okay fine yeah i do it in an emergency okay but i would never do it for fun well all right all right let me let me tell you about what happened to me with skydiving all right as far as the whole fun thing goes I approach skydiving from a very scientific point of view. I'm a scientific kind of guy. You know, I, I would never, for instance, go bungee jumping because I don't like the physics. <laughs> Dude, but, that's the same thing. No, I don't want to bungee It's not at all. Either. It's not at all. <laughs> There's lots of reasons why bungee jumping scares the crap out of me. But <laughs> skydiving, not so much because I understand the physics. Okay, uh, I had flown planes before. I've stuck my hand out the window of a car on the freeway. And that's the force you're going to feel when you jump out of an airplane. Um, I do the, like sticking my hand out the window. Is, is that about the that. same force? It, it's a cross between that and swimming. Hmm. Um, if I had to describe skydiving, it would be a cross between that and swimming. Here's, here's some preconceived notions about skydiving that are totally wrong. It's like, um, it's like falling. Okay, If you are in an elevator and it suddenly starts to go down really fast... You get that feeling in the pit of your stomach. You'll yeah. never feel that in ordinary skydiving. 
because really? the airplane is going 100 miles an hour, right? You step out to the outside of the airplane or you just jump out the door, depending upon how you want to do it. But the airplane's already going 100 miles an hour, so as soon as you hit the wind, you feel the force of 100 miles an hour wind on your body, okay? Right. And right. that's like sticking your hand out the window of the car, and if you turn your hand flat to the wind, you can feel all that force trying to pull your hand back, right? Yeah. Sure. Okay, same thing. The pit of your stomach feeling that you get in an elevator is caused not by going from a high place to a low place, it's caused by acceleration. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But you do accelerate when you jump out of an airplane. Not as much as just turning a corner. So you're going 100 miles an hour horizontally, and you turn a big corner until you're going 100 miles an hour vertically. No, but, but the air is moving with you. The surrounding air is moving with you. I mean, I, until you open the door. I, I... The relative right. wind is going to be the same. And the relative wind is what you're feeling. So yeah, there's an acceleration much like turning a corner in a car. Okay? Okay. But, I but mean... there's not that 0 to 60 acceleration that you feel. All right. I mean, look, you, you would know. Okay, so I'll, I'll, oh, yeah. I'll give that to you. <laughs> not only would I know, uh, but I've but... seen it 1,800 times. Okay? I, that was going to be my next question. 1,800 jumps? That's how many times I've actually jumped out of an airplane. I mean, seriously, now, are, do you, are you bored of it at this point? It was it, never that much of an adrenaline rush for me in the first place. A and I know that that seems totally weird, but I did yeah. not get into the sport for the adrenaline. I'm not an adrenaline junkie. I'm not a thrill seeker. Okay, I'm a very conservative guy when it comes to my, my you know, limbs. Um, <laughs> I understood the physics of it well enough to know that I was going to be safe as long as I did what I was supposed to. The adrenaline for me comes in when I'm when I'm carrying a camera, getting the shot, you know, making sure hmm. that I, I get that magic moment on the person's face who's making their first skydive. I want them to be able to take home a treasure that says, I had a blast. Yeah, because okay. it's not like you were going out there for yourself, for fun, every time you did it. It was your job. Like It, it, it was my job. I mean, it was a thrill. Yeah, your job was to time. capture these moments. Yeah, but in the air was second nature to me. And it was that way almost, almost from my very first jump because I understood the physics. Now, a lot of people don't. Uh, I, I have jumped with other people who never figured out how to fly their bodies. Uh I've, uh, I've jumped with other people who were never really good at it. I was a good, competent skydiver. I could make my body do mostly what I wanted to do with the ordinary style of skydiving belly to earth. There are other people out there doing uh, things they call vertical freefall that I never mastered. And, uh, you know, it's just I never practiced it. I never Which had is just head training. down, like straight down? Yeah, a little more complicated than that. But, yeah, you're a lawn okay. dart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're uh, you're you're plummeting to earth. But they have they have developed and 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 actually it was during my skydiving career that that aspect of the sport developed. When I first started, there were two three people in my neighborhood and you know a handful of people worldwide doing that kind of skydiving. And now it's as common as the old fashioned skydiving is. Yeah. And a lot of people never learn how to do the old fashioned skydiving. Mm. Hey, uh, how high up do you jump from? 
generally speaking, average skydives are around fourteen to 15,000 feet. Fourteen to 15,000 feet. Yes. And how long of an experience is that? The well, I, I guess that fall, depends on when, when you pull the, pull the chute. Yeah, there's multiple experiences in every skydive. And, and I what if it, you pull the chute as late as you can? Uh, you're looking at about 72 seconds from that altitude. Oh, I can't believe that. That is, that is 72 se- a, a little over a minute? And it will last you the rest of your life. <laughs> that is a long time. That is so short. Are you kidding me? That that was the average. That was actually close to the average time that a tandem jumper, somebody doing that one time in their life jump. I could have probably held out for another 10, 15 seconds. Hey, but, but Jason, Jason, I'm a conservative when I said, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jason, when I said, when I was freaking out, you thought I was freaking out about how long that was? Yeah. A minute? That is, that's nothing. Uh, to be in uh, total free fall, I think that's pretty cool. I think that's a long time. No, I mean, I have mean, you have you never experienced the time dilation effect of something nah, something sure. that I seems know. It to last feels a lot longer, much yeah, longer. Okay. You never be been in over an accident, a minute, yeah. You never that, been in an accident in a car where you can remember every aspect of the of that huh. fraction of a second. You've never done that? the opposite. I don't remember what happened in the car crash I was in. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I've had that experience, but I've also had, like, what John's saying, where, <laughs> where you can remember everything. And yeah, a minute, dude? I mean, that, like, you spend a minute, I think, falling out of an airplane. That's, like, the longest minute of your life. You let's, try, let's try something else. You, you ski, right? Uh, I have snowboarded in the past, but uh, I would not call myself a snowboarder. Now, hold on a second. I just want to mention that I just got an email from Evan uh, Schumacher. Uh, He's not going to mind that I mention his name, I don't think. Uh, He would like to know. (laughs) He can't remember what the no format email is. So I'm going to say it right now. (laughs) It is no format at noformatpodcast.com. There you go. How did he get a hold of you to ask for that? He emailed me and I just saw it on my phone. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> go ahead, John. What were we talking about? Um, we were talking about things lasting longer than they seem to. There you go. Continue. When you do something uh, very unusual, like if you uh, had never been sco- snowboarding before and you jumped on the slopes, yes. you would come down from that experience with a lot of aching muscles, things that you'd never used before. Correct. And and you would remember certain pivotal moments. Well, 60 seconds in a skydive is a pivotal moment for just about anybody. (laughs) No, I'm sure it is. I'm sure if something, I mean, I mean, in my mind, you're coming as close to death as you're ever going to come. Okay. So yes, that's going to be pivotal. And you're going to remember. Josh, do you feel like when you ride a roller coaster, do you get off the roller coaster and think, man, that was a short ride or, or do you think it was long? Cause I think a roller coaster, I mean, I don't don't know if most roller coasters last more than maybe two minutes. They really you don't, know? but no? but if they're a good roller coaster, they can seem like they've been up there for much longer. Okay, yeah. what's your favorite roller coaster? Uh, I like everything about the 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 one at California Adventure that has the Mickey ears on it because of the way they launch. <laughs> oh, that launch. one is awesome. Hang on. That one is. I don't even awesome. think I've been on that one. You have, but because of the way they launch with that oh, electromagnetic so cool. rail thing instead of dragging you up the hill. Yeah, totally cool. Um, uh, on uh, that's what Top Gun should have been at Great America, dude. I was gonna say Top Gun, man. Top Gun, Top, 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 Top Gun, Top Gun is a fantastic roller coaster. It does everything right that a roller coaster should do, in that it keeps you guessing and things like that. And 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 the maneuvers that you do are radical yet smooth and and stuff like that. And the other one is Space Mountain. 
because they do it Space in the dark. Good. Space Mountain is totally cool. Yeah, I agree. That one, that one, dude. I swear, I could hit my hands on on the <laughs> wall. Like it, 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 it seems too close, man. I think I feel like I'm gonna hit. Something. I, I know what you mean. Yeah, it does. Yeah. But I'm sure you. I mean, I know you're probably. There's probably like three feet of clearance, but it just feels like I'm gonna hit something, dude. Yeah. Uh, what about okay? This one's like from my childhood. Do you guys remember uh, the demon? Mm-mm. That's the still demons. in Great America, right? I think it's still there. I haven't been in Great America in forever, but it's that's still there. that's yeah. Okay, it, that it's was. okay, but it's no match for Top Gun. No, no. Part. I mean, Top Gun kills it, dude. But yeah. like before Top Gun, I think it was like one of the better ones there. <laughs> yeah, sure. What's was. the you know what you know what's a really cool one? What's the one at Santa Cruz? Um, Big, Dipper, Big Dipper. Oh, please, dude. The Big Dipper? That I, thing needs to be torn down. I mean, it's just cool because it's so old. But it, I think it's a good roller coaster. <laughs> I like the beginning. The beginning also, it, it sends you straight into the dark. And yeah. rather than immediately just dragging you up the hill, you, you go downhill for a bit in the dark, and then you go up the hill. I think that's kind of hey, cool. Um, I grew the... up in San Diego right next to uh, a place called Belmont Park in South Mission Beach, which had uh, almost a clone of the Big Dipper. Uh, at Belmont Park, and uh, they came really close to tearing it down, and now it's a historical landmark. But yeah, I grew up on that my entire summer. Isn't isn't the Big Dipper one of the oldest ones ever? I or think am it's I the just... oldest in California. Yeah, I think you're right. It, it is uh, the oldest something. Yes. Yeah. Uh, definitely. And uh, there's a similar one to that at Great America called the Grizzly. And um, I remember when I was a kid, I lost a tooth on that ride. It was so like... Uh, yep, it's a, it's a jarring experience, is which, totally is, jarring. which is yeah. why I am an aficionado of the tubular steel coasters because I like things smooth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also like the, the, the kind of maneuverability that it gives you, which takes me right back into skydiving. One of the reasons that I got into that sport was I wanted the three-dimensional freedom that it gives you. Uh, any sport you do on the ground, you know, you're tied to the surface of the ground pretty much. Sure. But with skydiving, you have uh, that third dimension. And, and when I was doing the filming, that was that was one of the things we would do as a rule is fly up way above the customer and shoot down so that you could get the idea of how high they were. Fly underneath them looking up so you could see them looking like Superman. And, and, uh, and it was all part of the story that we were trying to tell. And by the way, we turned that 60-second fall into a 10 minute movie for them so uh it was it was all part of the art form how'd you do that yeah like the preparation and afterwards or something exactly i would and and this is one of the places where i kind of made my mark and it kind of annoyed some people who didn't want to work that hard but i would get in the customer's face before they jumped to find out what their feelings were Ah, and uh and see how they felt about things and then uh, do my best to capture the the shots that I needed to capture. We'd throw in a little slow motion, a little That's stop action effect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and we usually had an, an editor who specialized in that. And then, you know, once we got down to the ground, of course, I'd go up to them and find out how their attitude changed. And here's something for you, Josh. Uh, a lot of people, most people, were scared going up in the mm-hmm. airplane. And they were scared and terrified to take that step out the door. And as soon as they hit the ground, they wanted to go right back up. <laughs> okay, and, and just about every one of them thought that 60 seconds lasted a long time. And it was totally worth it. And it wasn't just the 60 seconds in free fall. Because then the parachute opens. And it goes from this high-speed, wind-in-your-face kind of thing to this slow, relaxing, beautiful view, glide around the sky so how how, how long do you glide around for the sky usually? A couple of minutes. Okay. Wow, uh, that's longer than I thought. And and that entire time you're having a conversation with your uh, 
with your uh, tandem master and he's oh, yeah. telling you, you know, there here's the sights or here's what we're going to do. Do you want to do something exciting or do you want it to be slow? And if you wanted it more <laughs> exciting, he'd crank in a turn and you'd go whipping around in circles and do all sorts of fun stuff until it got right down to the landing. This is the guy who you're strapped to the back of. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And depending <laughs> upon how good they were, um, you know, you could have a nice... Uh, you could have a really interesting experience. You could have something nice and sedate or something really adrenaline pumping, whatever you wanted. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Hey, hey, uh, did you ever do, did you ever get into any of the, that like flying squirrel suit stuff? <laughs> well, my uh. suit was uh, a winged suit, not yeah. like the flying squirrel suit. The flying squirrel suits are actually a multi-layer uh, arrangement such that as you move through the air, it inflates the wing and gives you more lift. Okay, because because you've I'm sure you've seen the freaking videos on YouTube of these guys like like scraping the tree line on these mountains. Yeah. Sure, Jeb Insane. Corliss is one of those guys, uh, and um, and yeah, it, it's it's just like flying an airplane close to the ground. Um, you you just can't go up as effectively. Okay, yeah, those guys are freaking dead, man. One wrong move. And Corliss hit his foot on one of those mountaintops and nearly killed himself. Serious? Oh, you can find one of those if you look it up. And uh, actually, the funniest video I ever saw was um, uh, based on the music that he used in that video called Grinding the Crack or something like that. And uh, But it was done to a picture of a cat walking along an edge and trying to jump from one building to another and missing the jump. <laughs> funniest, funniest video you will ever see. Uh, I'll have to send you a link to that one. Okay. Um, we'll put it in the show notes for sure. <laughs> yeah. If you were if you were to look up Corliss, C-O-R-L-I-S-S, and Cat, you would probably find the YouTube video for it. All right, there you go. Um, it's uh, it's hilarious. Um, hey, it, so go ahead. Go ahead. Go, no, you go. I was gonna say, should we should we talk about uh, the latest? Um, what would we call it? The pivotal moment the in skydiving. skydiving. Yeah, is, is this the pivotal moment in skydiving? Is, there, yeah. is this like the greatest thing that's ever been done? No, this is, okay. It, it, this is well, okay. So we'll jump right into it. Uh, Let's do it. Not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, I guess it was, uh, this guy named Felix Baumgartner went up in a balloon. To something like 128,000 feet above okay, the and, Earth's and, surface. Okay, and how how high did you say? Yeah, uh, remind nor- us. A normal one is. It, a regular skydive is about 15,000 feet. And he went 120. You said. Yeah, I should say that's okay. around the Bay Area. If you go to certain other places, you're going to be lucky to get to 6,000 feet. But around the Bay Area, most of the skydiving centers around here are really awesome, and 15,000 feet is as high as you can legally go without oxygen. So that's okay. where that usually stops. So he, he goes up 120,000. 128,000 feet. Uh, oh, 128,000. Eight, Approximately eight and a half 24 time miles. 24 miles in the sky. 24 miles high. And virtually no of, air up there. In terms of space, like where does space, I know it's like a gradual 60 thing. 60 miles. And so he went up, he went up, not, not quite half, but... Not, a little over a third. Yeah, more than a third, not quite yeah. half. Wow. Okay. Now, okay. this is interesting, and it is certainly impressive to the lay public, but in reality, this was done 50 years ago. Well, yeah. I mean, his, um, his, his main guy, his guy the, the guy that was talking to him in his, in his, his helmet. His mentor, Joe his Kittinger, mentor, there you go. did a jump from 102,000 feet back in 1960. Uh-huh. Okay. 
Now, when Joe Kittinger did it, it was groundbreaking. It was a lot of unknowns. He was doing a whole bunch of tests to test parachute systems, pressure suits, uh, various other things. The balloon is almost incidental. It was just a ride to altitude, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, although it was up until Baumgartner, it was just about the highest balloon flight that had ever been done as well. How long does it okay. take to get, I mean, in terms of time? Oh, how long do dude, you sit Jason, in that balloon? Jason, okay, like, uh, uh, my neighbor texted me at like nine in the morning, and well, I think I waited till like 11 for him to actually jump, and like he had been going up for a, a couple hours before that. Oh, wow. I, I think the actual climb to altitude was probably in the nature of a of an hour or longer. I don't know. We no. probably probably have that up here somewhere. I think it was hours. I don't think it was quite that long. He hey, was. What, what's his name again? What's his name again? Baumgartner. Felix Baumgartner. Okay, hold on. Felix. Go ahead. Go ahead. Keep going. I've got his wiki page up. Um, yeah, that's exactly where I was going. <laughs> and I and I can give you some numbers. The actual time to altitude is not listed on here, okay. anywhere that I can see. But um, oh, here in his. Well, it says at twelve o'clock he jumped, and I know for a fact, like I didn't get the message till like like nine or. He did a jump from ninety six thousand feet in July, and it took him ninety minutes to get to that target altitude. I'm sure it was not more than two hours of actual climbing time. All right, all right. Okay. Um, the thing is, it was simply reproducing what Kittinger had done from a slightly higher altitude. Okay. And the differential between 102 and 128 was not all that much. Okay, Yeah, so, I, can, I can imagine that. So this is old technology, um, old concept. that he sh Now, it's not to say he didn't have a lot of new technology on board. He had a newer kind of spacesuit. He had lots of electronics to tell him how high he was. Do you know how many he cameras was... he had on him? I know it's like a dozen yeah. or something. Yeah, he had a lot of cameras to document the jump. I mean, this was bankrolled by Red Bull, who spends $300 million a year on dude. sports marketing. Dude, Red Bull Which... is totally cool. <laughs> no, you know what? You know what? That, that kind of spoiled it. I mean, it, it didn't... It soiled it a little bit for me because it's like I wanted it to be in the name of science because it's NASA and everything but at the same time it was like Red Bull so it's like not NASA NASA was not affiliated with it and actually what are you talking about NASA this NASA is provided where the, the balloon didn't they no well no. Na they, they were at like mission control weren't they no that was like Red Bull you're telling me NASA like had Bull nothing to do with control. it there were a lot of fans at NASA who were watching this and very excited about it and Baumgartner dissed him afterwards, and I'm going to get to that because that's where my rant really begins. <laughs> I mean, that, that is <laughs> why sure I have no respect for this chucklehead, because he he did this jump, and and they they talked it up all the science that they were going to do, yeah, all this no, yeah, wonderful that, stuff I heard they were going to do, and during the whole flight we heard none of that. Okay, that that Joe Kittinger was there as his mentor, I think was great. Because Joe was an unsung hero back in 1960. And this man has been revered in the skydiving community and many other communities for a long time because he was breaking ground. He was making the challenges. He was pushing his body to the limits. He was brave as hell. And Baumgartner was a... He was a daredevil. He was okay, a... Okay, okay. You know what? But... You got heroes... <laughs> This you guy got, was brave as hell, too. I think you can call him brave as hell. 
you got heroes, you got stuntmen, and you got daredevils. If Felix was brave, it was because he didn't really know what was going on, okay? This guy was uh, had a serious bout of claustrophobia when they tried to put him in the suit the first time. So he had to work with special psychological coaches to get over his claustrophobia just to wear the freaking pressurized suit Dude. that had been worn by by Kittinger, Kittinger and, and, and astronauts and guys who really put their asses on the line to prove things. And this guy was using essentially the same kind of spacesuit that had been used by countless astronauts and, and high-altitude high reconnaissance pilots for years. Okay, and, and okay. Hmm. Okay, Jason, did you see it? I've seen the, like, minute-long, you know, thing on YouTube. Sure, 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 sure. Um, and on top of everything couple... else, he botched the jump. Sorry. Oh, dude, okay, let's get to that. Because, <laughs> because okay, going up, I was just thinking, this guy's, this guy's going to die. They're, this, they're, he's going to film his death on national TV. This guy's going to die. I did not okay. worry. But oh, I, 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 there was several times, well, there was a few times that I seriously thought this man is going to die. Okay, number one, he, when he was up to the point where they were going through that checklist and they were like, okay, disconnect this, blah, 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 blah. That's and where like, he started screwing up in my dude, book. Dude, okay, sometimes he like wouldn't respond and I was like, oh shit, dude, this guy's going to die. He doesn't want to jump anymore. <laughs> there, was, well, uh, there was one person on, on Twitter who said, you know what, um, when I was listening to that, uh, there was a point where they should have stopped going through the checklist to prepare to jump and start going through the checklist to find out if he was conscious. Dude, serious. This guy, I, I thought he was going to um, So what? They're asking him off. if, you know, this is ready or that's ready, and he's, like, not responding? Yeah, it was like, exactly. it was like, do you see the red light that indicates the seatbelt is out or something? And and he just, like, wouldn't respond. At, and, what, uh, at what point, Joe said, Felix, you got to start talking back to me. Yep. You got to respond. Mm-hmm. And that's when he started responding. Dude, I would have been all over that, okay? <laughs> I, I, and I'm not saying that that I have the financial backing to do this jump, but if I had been in the position and somebody said, hey, you wanted to do a jump from 128,000 feet, I would have said, hell yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't and, have hesitated. And I would have done a lot of things differently. The You can you can sit in a chair across from Joe Kittinger and with a piece of paper in your hand saying, this is the timeline, and you can practice that event over and over again until the responses that you give are automatic. He was speaking as though he had never done this before. John, I think you're I think you're being a little too hard on him, man. I am not being hard on this <laughs> chucklehead, and I will I will get to even more of that because okay, this guy is in my book an idiot. Okay, well okay, look. <laughs> let, let's continue, dude. So this guy opens the door to freaking Space, man. I mean, it wasn't technically space, but he opens the, the door. door to a high altitude jump, looking at a big blue marble below him. So this this dude gets out. He's standing on this bar, and yeah. and you know, I don't know what they said or whatever, but but it's time to go. And he just like does a little hop off this thing, and you he just disappears, man. Yeah, that <laughs> is like true. It's gonna. We, it looks. It into looks nothing. Almost okay. like it's not even real footage or something. It, it, that was. It looks like the commander animation. Dude. It, Almost it, it, exactly like Kittinger's jump from 
60 years before. Dude, I'd like before. to see that. I didn't look that up. Oh, you can look it up on YouTube. It's, oh, man, it's, I should it's definitely It's all out that. there. And that man was under a great deal more stress. One of his gloves had failed. His hand had swollen up to twice its normal size. He didn't well, how tell about, anybody. Well, how about, um, uh, what's his name's uh, visor kept fogging up? Baumgartner's. He was probably breathing too hard. <laughs> Dude, uh, I was I was afraid for him. He I was thought, whining. I probably wouldn't even have mentioned it for fear they'd call off the jump. Dude, I wonder if like there was a point in time when he just couldn't see because of the fog. I've been there. Are you serious? Yeah, absolutely. Dude, that's crazy. Hey, do, you, do you want me to tell you some of my skydiving stories? First, let's get back to, to Baumgartner for a second. <laughs> okay. All right. Because All right. So we're, we jumped out. Saw, he's, he's disappeared. What you saw in that video of the guy stepping off and then rocketing down, rocketing out of sight. Um, everybody feels like that when they're looking at the person in the airplane going out before them, that they suddenly disappear and zoom away. Yeah. It doesn't feel like that when you're in the moment. You don't have the impression of what it feels like to start accelerating like that. That said, a balloon jump feels very, very different from an airplane jump. That elevator feeling, you definitely get that, and I'm sure he definitely got that. Yeah. But the acceleration rate that he was feeling at that point was no different than the initial acceleration I felt when I jumped out of a balloon from 1,400 feet. That initial acceleration, 32 feet per second squared, 9 meters per second squared, whatever the, the rate is, is exactly the same whether there's atmosphere or not. The difference is how fast you start slowing down, how mm. fast your acceleration decreases. In a regular skydive, you're going to accelerate to a static velocity, what they call terminal velocity, 120 sure, yeah. miles an hour. You're going to do that in the first 5 to 10 seconds of your skydive. He was accelerating for a lot longer than that at, at a faster rate because he had no air to slow him down, which was the whole purpose of his skydive. And, and, this, and this thing about how special it is to break the sound barrier... I now, think now, was totally overblown. It? Oh yeah, by a goodly See, they, amount. Because they didn't announce it during the thing, so I I didn't know until right now. Until you just told me. Uh, uh, I, that I, I probably watched it for a little longer than you did, and I remember them giving preliminary numbers. Okay. And it was about uh, Mach one point two four, so one and a quarter times the speed of sound, which is and and was this the first time that it's happened? It was the first time that it happened to a man outside of an aircraft. Yes. Okay, if you okay. don't if you don't consider his spacesuit to be his aircraft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And and that that happened to Baumgartner and not Kittinger because he was in less air. Um, there was less air. Uh, partly that and partly because uh, Kittinger was testing a uh, parachute recovery system that deployed a drogue chute before he could accelerate to that speed. Oh, okay. So he was actually in free fall, true free fall, for much less time. Mm. Hey, okay, so dude, so this guy jumps out, and then the camera, you don't see, they don't turn his cameras on. Like, actually, I don't know that I ever even saw, yeah, I think I did see his cameras. But anyway, you're getting this, like, telescopic view of him, and all you see is this little white oval. Now, and, okay. and all oh, you yeah. see is yeah. this oval <laughs> tumbling over and over yep. again. We're talking like a revolution a second, maybe. Yep. This, this fool is just out of control. Yep. And that was probably the third time that I thought I thought this that was really dead. surprising. I thought like 
I why expected it to happen. Why is that happening? Why did that happen? They said they said that it was going to happen, but like I didn't think it was going to happen that much and that fast and for that long. And I thought this guy was dead. Why did that? And happen? I, I mean, thought he didn't like handle he could... it very well. I mean, because... he, he wasn't handling it for a while, right? But... And and as soon as he stopped spinning, that was about the time he went subsonic again. Yeah. Okay, so so there's some interesting things about aerodynamics that you kind of need to know, and it's what made Chuck Yeager so special, Chuck Yeager and, and the people he was working with so special when he broke the sound barrier back in, like, 1947. When, what, what in, in an airplane or something? In an or? airplane, yeah, okay. the, the X-1. The, the thing that happens is, it, you know what a shockwave is? You know sort of what it looks like? Isn't it where all the, all the sound waves build up? Uh, uh, and it, no, the compression that's... waves built up, yes. Okay. And because air normally acts like a fluid, it flows around things and it doesn't compress. Mm-hmm. But under certain circumstances, it can compress, and and sound is actually compression waves moving through the air. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. When an airplane approaches the speed of sound, these shock waves, where the air undergoes a step compression form over the wings and the air behind that shock wave doesn't have the same effect on the wing as the air in front of that shock wave which is why airplanes tended to lose control when they approached the sound barrier and why it was such a big deal for for uh, Jaeger to break the barrier back in 1947 and they did that by effectively modifying the control surfaces so that they would work in spite of that shock wave formation and any aircraft capable of passing through the sound barrier today does that almost effortlessly because they've figured out ways around those aerodynamic problems. With his body, he had those shock waves forming around his body and his usual control surfaces, his hands and feet, mm-hmm. stopped functioning the same way. But but in in, mm. in in the upper atmosphere, he didn't even have air, didn't he? Right, or he very, had a lot less air to work little. with. And, and he was fine as he left the thing until he accelerated up to the, to the speed of sound, and mm-hmm. that's when he started spinning. That's what made him go just out of control, yeah. you're saying. Huh. If uh, he had uh, not passed the speed of sound, um, it's very possible with his skill and experience that he never would have started spinning in the first place. Well, man, he, he came out of it. Yeah, as soon as he went down below the speed of sound, he was back to skydiving again. Yeah. And even though he was still going 600 miles an hour, he had that wind on his body that allowed him to, to make controls. Now, I'm not saying that if I was suddenly thrust into 600-mile-an-hour airflow that I would immediately know how to, how to do it. <laughs> but, you know, he was supposed to be leading up to this jump, and he was supposed to be experimenting with his controllability in the process mm-hmm. of all of this so that he wouldn't go into a spin. And I predicted that he was going to not know how to do that when he actually entered supersonic flight and he was going to spin. Um, and and sure enough, you know, that came true. That doesn't make me a miracle worker. That just makes me <laughs> know something about aerodynamics. You know, I, I fully expected that to happen. Okay. okay. And I fully expected him to come out of that as soon as he went subsonic again. And he came really close to pushing a button to release a chute to stabilize him again because he he was kind of wimping out about how much pain it was causing him and how he was afraid, but he was just he like decided. Was, in the guy has an ego as big as the balloon that took him to altitude. Okay, but hey, Jason, to answer your question, uh, he was like 
as he was falling Seems like it'd be down, pretty hard to communicate in well, under Kittinger those was conditions. Like, was like, Kittinger was like, please talk to us. Like, tell us how you're doing. You can talk. And he, he wasn't saying much at all. You could hear because his breathing. Because he, he was an Austrian twit. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying really hard to control my language here. This guy does not speak very well in public. Okay? I don't right. know if you noticed that. He is a daredevil, and he speaks with his body. Okay? He does stunts. But when you put him in front of a camera, he doesn't speak that well. You know, he's Arnold. Well, that that may be true, but like in all fairness, I mean, you saw how how much he was spinning round and round. I mean, I think it'd be pretty hard to talk to people. Yeah. In under you know while while that's happening. <laughs> it was to you. after after he stopped spinning. He should have been talking up a storm about yeah, how he, he felt he when wasn't. he went through. Yada yada yada. Because... I mean, look look, he was scared. I bet he was scared. I mean, are are you blaming him for being scared? Yes. Really? See, I don't, I don't, man, you're being really hard on the guy. I am being hard on him because he was preceded by truly heroic people who did yeah, a better job. You're putting job. him up against them. Okay, I understand. I'm putting understand. him up against people like Kittinger. Kittinger. Yeah. I'm putting him up against um, astronauts. I'm putting him up against Chuck Yeager. I'm put, because that's the way he was talking about himself. How do those guys feel about after this, this whole jump. thing? Have they, have they spoken about it? Um, uh, Kittinger is is his mentor, and yeah, has so he's not, not spoke ill of him. Uh, but an awful lot of people that I know who understand what was really going on um, have have been trash talking this guy now because of of some of the other statements he made. Dude, and, I don't know. I, I'm looking at this picture on Wikipedia. This triptych. Are you guys seeing that that picture? If you scroll down the, a little the bit, the three panels on the side. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cool. Like in one, you see his helmet. In the second one, you see him free falling. In the third one, he's just gone. <laughs> I have a thousand movies of people doing the same thing out of an airplane that looks just as dramatic. <laughs> You're just not going to budge on this, are you, John? <laughs> Kit- Kittinger did it in 1960. The video looks almost the same. <laughs> I got to I got to watch that. Hey, video. what happens to the balloon? That. Does it just float away, or does it come back uh, eventually? Down? No, it, it fell it down. Popped or tore, and it came down, and they recovered the capsule. And it's oh, like, really? It popped, really? Well, it did whatever it was supposed to do. They may have blown it open. I mean, it was oh, okay. designed okay. to be brought down safely yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Okay. So they did that, and they recovered the the bulk of the balloon material, and they recovered the capsule and everything hey, else, and it's fine. You know what else I thought was kind of dumb? Like on the same level as all this Red Bull uh, advertising was the the second he falls down it's not like a a medical crew comes to get him like like you will see yeah in, like, NASA. you know what i mean it's like this fool with the cameras like taking pictures of him and it's just kind of okay wait i have a perfect analogy for what this is like you know how when you're watching something like american football and mm-hmm. somebody gets hurt you know they're told to get up and walk it off okay sure uh, if somebody gets hurt bad enough they carry him off and you know maybe if he's a conscious he'll hold his hand in the air saying yeah i'm okay thanks very much uh-huh. and he'll walk off what happens in soccer? Somebody gets close to somebody else, and and the soccer player is trained uh, to act like he's okay. been brutally injured until the flag is thrown, and then he gets up and trots away. <laughs> kind of like basketball yes. too. They'll like fall on their butts, throw basketball, their legs and arms I, out. I don't I don't watch any of these sports very much. But, <laughs> basketball, but I, you're right. It is like super. It's pretty it's bad. super dramatic. Yeah, it, it, and that's the way it is in soccer. Felix is a soccer player. Okay, so yeah. so he was very dramatic about how, how hard this was for him, how dangerous it was. 
all the all the groundbreaking science he was supposed to do, which he did none of. Man, you are, all of you this are other not a stuff. fan of this guy. <laughs> I, I am so not a fan of this guy because, you know, Neil Armstrong passed away uh, not too long ago. Mm-hmm. The guy was quiet for most of his life. He walks on the freaking moon, and if you <laughs> and if you know what really goes on, what what uh, uh, an astronaut has to endure to get to the moon and back, how hard it is to wear the the spacesuits of the Apollo era, all of that stuff. If you to see these guys come back and be humble about it, mm-hmm. and uh, and to talk about the science and to talk about how important it is to maintain this stuff, and to not talk about how they themselves are such big heroes and they did all of this stuff. I mean, yeah, true Buzz Aldrin doesn't stop reminding anybody about how he walked on the moon, but he walked on the freaking moon. Yeah. yeah. This guy fell from 24 miles up, okay? He he followed the force of gravity. I've done this a few thousand times myself. It's not that hard. And he is speaking about himself as being this great hero he is speaking about how how you know hard it was for him and how he overcame adversity to try to get here and he fell from a balloon would you please just uh say a curse word i feel like you're holding back. <laughs> you know, um, Josh, i always hold back a little bit um this guy is a rock okay he's he's a freaking paperweight he's uh, <laughs> I all right, know, all right. I know skydivers who are far more accomplished than this. All right. Man, he's he's a daredevil. He's a daredevil. He's a daredevil, and he shouldn't be talking like he's a scientist okay. or an astronaut. So he's not on that same level. Here is where I really take issue with it. Now, <laughs> oh, come Joe, on, John. <laughs> oh, where you really take issue. Yeah, let, let's Kittinger, get to that. Joe Kittinger is, is a true American hero. Okay. Okay. Uh, Kittinger, Kittinger, I keep saying Kittinger. It's Kittinger. I, um, Kittinger is a true American hero. And what he went through and the the humbleness and his his um, exploits after that, I shouldn't call them exploits, his doing his job for the Air Force for before and after that record-breaking jump that he held for 50 years, okay? Mm-hmm. Th- this guy was a hero, and he did great things for humanity. He did wonderful things. Um, Baumgartner fell from a balloon. Okay, so... After he falls from the balloon, he's using his 15 minutes of fame. And and I use that in the, the classic, you know, who was that artist who came up with that phrase? Anyway, everybody's going to be famous for 15 minutes at some point. He's using his 15 minutes of fame to make statements that show his ignorance. Okay? He came out. All right, you in, know what? You know what, John? Make it quick because I don't want this to turn into a freaking fight. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so quickly, he came out and said in an interview that uh, I think I have up here in the Telegram from the UK, and and he said that um, the the Curiosity, the Mars rover, which by the way was an amazing feat of science, an amazing um, example of teamwork, an amazing bit of of. Uh, of science that was put together by thousands of people I, working I think we're both to 100% be perfect. Behind you on okay, that. this was something incredible that every human being can look to as oh, a no. as a what, measure. What did he say about that? What did he say about it? Just lay it on me. He said it was a waste of money. He said no, that. Are you he serious? Said that? He said that we threw away two and a half billion dollars 
to put a, and we shouldn't be exploiting Mars. That is tax mar money, Mr. Barmgarden added. People should decide, are you willing to spend all this money to go to Mars? I think the average person on the ground would never spend that amount of money. They have to spend it on something that makes sense, and this is definitely saving our planet. Now, I want to rant about this like you wouldn't believe, okay? <laughs> First of all, where did they spend that $2.5 billion? They spent it here for jobs, okay? 7,000 people were involved in that pro project, not to mention many more thousands of contractors and various other people who Jason, were employed Jason, with I'm just going to slowly fade this part out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll back off a little bit. And he called, and many of these people, by the way, were big fans of Baumgartner, okay? Uh, they, they watched with anticipation. They celebrated his achievement. They, they, they saw the publicity that was getting and said... This Are you saying the, the NASA people or what? I'm talking about like the Mars rover drivers. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah okay. Uh, the, the people who helped accomplish that nearly impossible task of taking a one-ton rover and putting it on another planet, you know, gazillions of miles away, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. The people who really knew what they were doing and were, were passionate about what they did and were not performing a stunt but went there to perform real science that benefits everyone on this planet. Baumgartner is ignorant about the benefits that we can get from studying other planets. He's ignorant about the benefits that comes from trying the impossible. He's ignorant about where the money goes and who it gets spent on and what good it does. He's ignorant about the return on investment of that $2.5 billion. Dude, right and now he says you, it's a waste you of are money. you are preaching a uh, shoot. What's the uh, what's that astrophysicist dude? Um, Neil Tyson. Neil Neil deGrasse Tyson. I, it's like it's like we got Neil deGrasse Tyson on the podcast right now. Neil Tyson had nice things to say about Baumgartner on the day of the jump, and I think he would feel every bit about him as I do right now, mm. uh, because he's he's a chucklehead. He's hey, maybe we can get him on the podcast. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll send him a a little message. <laughs> <laughs> Baumgartner um, went Baumgartner went up to break a record and get his name known. He went up for the the fame. Uh, the the science that they accomplished with it was minuscule and is not being celebrated. And that's actually another argument I have with him. The whole hey, time Jason, up, Jason, maybe we should start with Pamela Gay. <laughs> okay, we can, we can try and bring her on the show. Hey, you know, she's responded to our questions, John. Uh, yeah. oh, she's a lovely human being. Have you ever talked to her? Not personally. Like emailed? I have I've exchanged a couple of tweets and emails with her. Yes. Yeah, she's she's really good about uh, she's responding yeah. actually. Yeah. Fraser Kane is another guy you might want to, uh, uh, yeah. to communicate he's, with. Fraser, you mean? Yeah. Fra Fraser. Is it Fraser, <laughs> not Fraser? I don't know. He says Fraser, doesn't he? He does. I don't know. Yes, he does. <laughs> I'll pay particular attention to that next time I listen to him. <laughs> Well, I mean, does by the way, does, is he podcasting anymore? You know, I oh sure, I, I uh, he know. and Pamela are still doing uh, astronomy cast. Are you You're kidding. kidding? I listen to it all the time. What, what was the what last one? The, about? What do they talk about, man? I mean, I feel like they ran out of episodes, dude. You're talking about the universe. You're well, never going to run you know out of what? universe. I know, and that's what they say. But you know what, dude? I think they ran out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you boys are so young. <laughs> Several times okay, during I'm my look life, up. several ahead, times during my life, some prominent person has come forward and declared the end of science. And has I, I'm I'm, I'm I don't not think we're saying this. that. This, but this has literally happened several times when when the the end of science has been uh, declared. And I have seen 
such amazing changes in my life, in my lifetime, like the expansion of the universe is accelerating. Nobody ever used to think that. Oh, shoot, dude, Vesta. That's right. We're like exploring Vesta. Vesta, the the asteroid? That's an asteroid, right? Yes, Vesta is yeah. an asteroid. Yeah. Have, haven't we moved on from Vesta to another one? Hmm. Oh, yeah, we're going to series on? now. Yeah. Are they really? Um, yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's ex- exploring local stuff. But I'm talking about major, groundbreaking new understanding of the universe, like the fact that um, uh, the the dark matter and the dark energy of the universe. Dude, that's the fact that the the fact that the universe <laughs> I have is a hard not time with that one. static, it is expanding at an accelerating rate. That yeah. no, discovery okay, wait, wait. was made dark in matter? my lifetime. Dark matter. I, I've got a problem with dark matter. And you know what? I know. I understand it on like the most superficial level I could possibly understand it. But like people talk about it like it's a thing. But it's not. It's it's a lack <coughs> of knowledge. It's a placeholder. Am uh, I right, John? Yes, it, 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 mostly. Um, dark hmm. matter, See, I, I suspect, is a thing. Uh, dark energy uh, is is something that I'm uh, still on the fence about. Um, yeah. Chances are there is something out there that has mass that we have simply been unable to detect. And uh, whether it's because it doesn't interact with light the way we expect it to or what, whatever the big deal is there, we can definitely see the effects of yeah. dark matter. So... I'm guessing that's probably a thing, okay? Dark energy may be a thing, or it may be just a, a fundamental nature of the universe that um, that makes it that that makes up a whole bunch of stuff that causes the acceleration and all of that stuff, and we just don't understand how the universe is built, so we have this placeholder folder for it called yeah. dark energy right now. Anyway. Um... I mean, there. No, I mean, yeah, I can see. I like some. I'm looking at Vesta. Is the they did Vesta like six podcasts ago? They still got some stuff to talk about. You know, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm gonna resubscribe I, to that. You know what? So will there's, I. In you fact, know, New Horizons done. is on its way to Pluto. I, I miss We're gonna those, have that to talk episodes. about. That's that's in 2015, but you know they can also talk about uh, just you know near to Earth space flight and stuff. What. Uh, SpaceX has accomplished with the Dragon spacecraft. That's pretty darn remarkable. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, well, anyway, that's a great podcast. If anyone has not listened to a <laughs> cast, start from the beginning. Yeah. It is just such a good podcast. Yeah, it, you know what? It really is. That's like, that was the first podcast I really was, was into. I remember um, you getting into podcasts. I, I, I remember I was driving down to San Jose to find a place to live when I first moved down here. And I was like, hmm, I want to find some podcasts to listen to like on the way down there. And that was it. Astronomy cast. Yeah. You got Good me to times. listen to that because I wanted to know something. And you were like, oh, you should listen to this podcast because it talks about that. And you know what? What was it? it? Okay. I don't remember exactly the question that I asked, but the the podcast that supposedly was going to answer my question was it, it i mean it's one of the earlier ones so i don't know uh-huh. probably between episode 1 through 50 or something but it was something where they talk about what is outside of the universe or and, and they talk about what is the shape of the universe oh okay yeah yeah and yeah, i don't yeah. remember what Swat. i i don't remember what i asked you but you were like well you should listen to this podcast like and and, and this episode <laughs> will answer your question <laughs> it, it's flat by the way we we know that now it's flat is that a fact? Yeah, a few decades ago they were talking about it being toroidal or something like that, but now we're pretty sure it's flat. Huh. Hmm. 
Cool. Three dimensionally flat, so it's not like it's a pancake. Oh, it's like shoot. it's a. You know, it's a it, yep, I'm just sure. blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the first podcast I listened to, but it probably was something about space, and uh, after that, it was probably something about Firefly. You know, I'll say this: uh, there's not a lot of good space ones out there. Well, there's like a couple good ones. And astronomy cast like, kills it, though. I mean, how it's true. like how astronomy cast is them. awesome. Uh, if you want short podcasts. Star date, little one minute every day. Okay. Yeah. Um, I know you didn't like it because uh, you had a problem with the musical intro, which has changed. Oh, you're by talking the way. about the the 365 uh, days. 365 of days of astronomy oh, is still dude, going that, strong. That okay? opener song is a killer, dude. It's like a well, deal breaker. <laughs> no, they they've they've cut it way back. Um, okay. It's okay. it's just a little uh, guitar riff now and then. There's Especially if you're trying to listen to them like one after the other, like you hear that song 50 times. Uh, within, yeah, that's kind of annoying. Yeah. If you if you listen minutes. to the whole first year. Even I might get tired of George Robb, but I actually really <laughs> like George Robb. Hey, he's got a podcast, too, called the Geologic Podcast. Oh, uh, I've, oh that's the guy that's singing it? Yeah, I've seen it. I've yeah, heard it's, that one. It's mostly a comedy and skeptical thinking kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Skeptic's Guide I, to the Universe I listen to the Skeptic's Guide. Yep, 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 yep. That's a good one. If you want uh, comedy and stuff, there's one called Tech Diff, T-E-K-D-I-F-F. Uh, that's uh, freaking hilarious. Uh, the yeah. guy, it's one guy with GarageBand. And uh, he does all the voices and does uh, wacky characters and uh, and he's is it a lot of post production like uh, the Geologic podcast is? Yes, yes, yeah. and he does it all himself on GarageBand. And, we basically uh, do no yeah, post production. No time for that. <laughs> it, it's a struggle gee, just gee, to get I, this thing. I up haven't every noticed. Week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, dude. Should we wrap it up? Yeah, I guess we should. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. It's been a blast, dude. John, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for coming on and ranting about how much you hate Red Bull. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm going to bring you a Red Bull tomorrow. If they want to spend $300 million, then they can spend it on me. So you do drink Red Bull. <laughs> and if they want to send me up in a balloon, hey, I'll, I bet I can do a better job than Baumgartner did. Well, if you, you ever, you heard if you ever it, do, Bull. I don't want to see you tumbling around on the way down <laughs> like some kind of amateur. Oh, I, I okay. can almost guarantee I will be. But uh, maybe I can get Red Bull to send me to Mars. That would be cool. <laughs> All right, well... Thanks for being on the show, man. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. All right. See you guys later. Bye.